So we're in our second week of emotional healthy relationships, and the basis of emotional healthy relationship comes from a series that we had talked about last year, a couple years ago, called Emotional Healthy Spirituality. And the, the premise, the thesis, the main idea is that you can't be spiritually mature, you can't be a healthy Christian if you're emotionally immature. Let me say that again. You can't be spiritually mature while being emotionally immature. Now, oftentimes being spiritually mature is tied to knowing, about, knowing the Bible or practicing spiritual exercises or attending church or being part of you know, volunteering in the church. And while that's all good, we also carry a lot of baggage inside of us from our family of origin, from the relationships that we have that impact those in ways that we might not be aware of. And so the whole thesis and premise of emotional healthy spirituality is to figure out what is hiding in you, what is underneath, if we were to, if we were to um, use an iceberg to, to be a simile of life, what's underneath the iceberg, what can we, un, what can we dig up to figure out what's going on, what, how we're functioning, to understand all those things in order to make those things right, and in doing so, that will lead us to a more spiritually mature, more healthy relationship with God. And so we're excited to kick off today our, our emotional healthy relationship. Last week, Fanfo and Greg, they gave us an overview of what the series is going to be and reminders of um, big parts of, spirit, of emotional healthy spirituality. And so if you weren't here last week, go and check, it, check the video out from last week. But we're going to kick off today and we're going to talk about one of the essential building blocks about that. But before we do, I, I'm reminded as we dive into this, this um, sermon series uh, I remind about my own relationships. And so early on, when I got married to Pang, one of the advice that was given to me was always be the first to apologize when there was, there was conflict. So whether it's her fault or my fault, I was informed that the best, best advice is to apologize first. Now, I didn't know any better, and so, after, so what would happen whenever we got into conflict, again, whether it was my fault or Pang's fault, was that I would apologize. I'd be like, I'm sorry. And not knowing how she processed conflict, sometimes that would get her more frustrated with me. I'm like, this is really crummy advice. Like, I thought this was supposed to help out our relationship. Like, it's hurting our relationship. And so I would apologize, and, and she'd be like, for what? Like, what, what does that apologize mean? It wasn't up until maybe two or three years ago, we sat at a training that talked about personality types, and uh, there was this inventory that we took called the Strengths Deployment Inventory, and it talked about how we process conflict. And so um, it, 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 it gives you your main motivations. And so for me, whenever I enter conflict, my first stage of conflict is to make sure the relationship's okay, to make sure that we're, we're still together, we're still in this together. And so it is very natural for me to apologize. It's very natural for me to say I'm sorry. And I might not know what I'm sorry for, but it's a matter of like, hey, are we okay? Let, you know, I want to make sure we're okay so that we can figure this out. Now, paying stage of conflict, she goes to red, and so she wants something out of it. Like there, There's got to be a goal. There's got to be you know, progress. Like, what are, we, what are we doing? And so when I apologize profusely, for her, nothing is being done. Like, what are you apologizing for? What are you going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? And so until I understood that, 
man, for the last 10 years of our marriage, it was just me apologizing and her getting frustrated, and I would get frustrated, and that will dive us in deeper into conflict. What will require you to have healthy relationships? What will require you to have healthy relationships? I'm sure we've all had our share of great advice. I'm sure some of us have had our share of really bad advice. And I hope in that day as we dive into our scripture that we're going to look at, our passage that we're going to read, and as we dive into a tool that emotional healthy relationship gives us, that we will get a chance to understand what it takes to have healthy relationships. Now part of our series here, we've got a workbook, and so there's three in the back that someone generously donated, and so if you'd love to pick up a, a workbook, you don't necessarily need it for the series, but if you want to go a little deeper, um, you can go back at the table at any time, you know, between now and the end of service, or end of, yeah, end of service, feel free to grab one. Again, someone donated a couple, and so grab one, but again, every week that we're here, we're going to have the material on, on screen here, and so... Today, we're going to dive into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. And if you've got your Bible lab, if you've got your Bible with you, feel free to flip it uh, and read along with me in a little bit. It's going to be on the screen as well, too. If you're sitting um, with your back against me, we've got the projector back there that's working, so you don't, have to, you don't have to bust out your owl tricks and turn your head 180 degrees. And so we've got both screens working today. And so again, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, this is what it says. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor, if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Now this passage is often referred to as the love chapter of the Bible. And you'll, you'll probably hear it at weddings, but... I want to let you know that it applies to all of us, whether we're married or not, single, in a relationship, interested in a relationship, not in a relationship, not interested at all. It applies to all of us. You see, the entire book of 1 Corinthians speaks about the unhealthy relationships that were happening in the church of Corinth. There were fights and there were divisions in the church about many things, one of them being spiritual gifts. You see, the church, they argued against each other about their spiritual gifts. Each individual in the church, each believer saw that their gift was better than the other. So they fought and they clawed at each other to implement their gift during church service. So imagine if this morning Shang's like, hey, the gift of seeing worship, my talent of playing guitar is much better than preaching. 
Chong would be trying to sing, Chong would be singing over me as I was preaching in my belief that, hey, preaching is more important than singing. And so stop singing, let me preach. And then our cafe people would be serving coffee wildly around the entire sanctuary as Chong and I were trying to fight against each other. And if we were going to preach or we were going to sing because they think that hospitality, the gift of hospitality is better. So that was what was going on in the Corinth church. Some of the gifts that they were fighting over, some wanted to pray in unknown language. They were speaking in tongues, and so they wanted to pray in unknown language because that felt like the, that the speaking in tongues made them connect with God. It was, again, super chaotic, and so Paul helps them understand that the highest value were actually none of the gifts. There wasn't a single one of them that was a priority gift or a high gift. Instead, Paul encouraged the church to love each other. Loving each other would compel them to use their gifts in a correct way, in a way that God had intended to serve and seek the well-being of others instead of arguing with each other which gift was superior. And so in light of our series, Emotional Healthy Relationships, the church was not emotionally healthy. The Corinthian church was not emotionally healthy. And they experienced poor relationships with each other, meaning they also experienced poor relationships with God. So in order to transform them to be healthy and to have healthy relationships with each other and have a healthy relationship with God, Paul encouraged the church to love each other. Without love, everything, everything would be worthless. Yet no matter how talented, no matter how gifted the people were, again, without love, healthy relationships could not exist. And once the Corinthian church understood this, things would be better. And if we're able to get this, things would be better for us too. With the relationships in our family, with our spouse, with our kids with our extended family, with our neighbors, with our community. Now, understanding love can be a little tricky, and Paul's understanding of love is very specific. It's actually considered to be the highest level of love. It's the same kind of love in the great commandment that Jesus gives, that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and with all of our mind, and we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. You see, our understanding in the English language encompasses a wide range of emotions. And it's different with each person or thing that we love. And so we can dis make a distinction of the differences in the things that we love. And so if I were to say, I love my mom, and if I were to say, I love barbecue, you could assume and make a distinction that I love, I should love mom more, right? And I hope in this case I do love mom more, even though barbecue is awesome. But the reality is sometimes it can be hard to make the distinction. Because who knows, maybe you love mom, but maybe your relationship with mom is very difficult. So you love her in a way that might not emphasize or make a distinction of, of how, how different it is from barbecue. Maybe you might love barbecue a whole lot more than mom. So love, again, in, in the English language at least, I feel like encompasses a wide range of emotions where, again, we can assume and we can make distinctions and differences on the level of love. But when it comes to the Bible, when Paul uses his word love, it's very specific. 
Throughout the Bible, there's two main words that describe love. In the Greek, it's phileo and agape. And these are terms that you might have heard before. Phileo describes a friendly love, sometimes a, a brotherly love. It's where Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia, gets their name from. Phileo love describes a friendly love, a mutual love um, where I care for you and in return you care for me. It's filled with warmth and affection. And so think of the people that you enjoy being with. That's a phileo love that you're feeling. Again, a friendly love that you can expect warmth and affection from your friends, and then they can respect the same thing too. The love that Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians, the passage that we just read, is agape love. Sometimes we'll hear this as unconditional love. I think here's a better definition, because when we say unconditional, it's still very vague and very broad. But this is what unconditional love, uh, a definition I found that was very helpful. Agape love is an unconditional love that is always giving and impossible to take or be a taker. It devotes total commitment to seek your highest best, no matter how anyone may respond. This form of love is totally selfless and does not change whether the love given is returned or not. And this came from an article I found by David Nelms. So different from phileo love, where there is an expectation that you will be received with appreciation and warmth, and it's mutual with agape love, it's unconditional in the sense that one individual is giving love to the other and the person who is expressing love to the other is not expecting anything back, completely selfless. The Bible dictionary that I used goes further to explain this, that this type of love, agape love, is not based on how we feel for others, but it is purely love that is expressed undeserved unmerited, and unwavering. It's love for the unlovely. And so if you want to, take for a second and think of the most unloveliest person that you know or that you've encountered and imagine loving on them with everything that you had. That's agape love. Agape love is also an action. It's a choice. It's not based out of feelings because sometimes feelings motivate us to do something, but agape love is just something that we simply do. It's an action. It's a choice that we make to seek the well-being of other people, whether, regardless of if we benefit from not. Agape is seeking, seeking their well-being, again, without expecting anything in return. Now, again, it's, it can be hard for understand how this could ever be possible. How could we ever love someone like this? But we need to understand that this love comes from God and this love is God. Earlier, Tim had read from 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19. It specifically says, we love because he, God, first loved us. And as we express this other focused, unconditional love to others, God designed it to work in a system where others express it to us. And so if you're worried, I mean, I was worried, like, this sounds very one-sided. Like, if I'm loving somebody and not expecting anything in return, like, what happens to me? Be assured, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4 says this, that is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other. 
loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. So if there's a concern that this love is one-sided where it's like, oh man, like, if I'm giving all this unconditional love to somebody else, like, where am I receiving that love? We receive that love from God because that's where it comes from. And we also receive this love from other believers. It's an ongoing ecosystem of experiencing love, this unconditional love. That as I love unconditionally, without expectation of somebody else, somebody who is unlovely, that somebody else is pouring that love onto me. And it's this love that also frees us from all fear. I'm going to reference back to 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. Again, the verse that Tim had read, and this is what it says. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows us that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. Now it says that God's love stops us from being afraid about his final judgment over humanity sense of if I'm, you know, if I believe in God, you know, if I don't believe in God, is there a heaven or is there a hell? And if I'm, you know, if I pass away, if my loved ones pass away, am I going to heaven or hell? And that can be a really scary question for a lot of us. The apostle, the, the apostle Paul here says that this love stops us from being afraid about God's final judgment, about humanity. It gives us confidence over that fear. And if being concerned about where we are going to go once we pass away or when our loved ones are going to go when they pass away, if it could prevent us from not being fearful of the concept of heaven or hell, where we're going, if we're going to heaven or hell, imagine how much more free we can be when we're in a relationship where we experience agape love, when we experience unconditional love. Think of all the insecurities and uncertainties and all the unknowns that we experience in our relationships. Am I good enough? Am I likable? Am I replaceable? Is someone better than me? So how do we know if we are experiencing this love? And how do we know if we're exemplifying this love? Thankfully, the rest of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 passage gives us that answer. And in verses 4 through 7, this is what it says. That love is patient. Love is kind. Love isn't jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. 
that love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Now, if you've experienced this with someone, if you experience this with yourself, exemplifying, exemplifying this to someone else, you're experiencing unconditional love. You're exemplifying unconditional love. All of these attributes, patient, kindness, not boasting in yourself, never gives up, never loses faith, all these attributes are pretty self-explanatory. They're all pretty literal. There isn't any special meaning behind them. It's face value. It means what it says. And so healthy relationships happen when we love others like how we experience God's love comes from God. Healthy relationships happen when others love us like how they experience God. Healthy relationships happen when we love others like how we experience God. And so what is required for all of us, you and I, to have healthy, to have emotional healthy relationship is this. God loves you unconditionally. Love others unconditionally. God loves you unconditionally. Love others unconditionally. So if we get a little bit more practical, what does this look like? How do we love others like how we love God? Love is an action, and so we have to do something. Sometimes that feels scary, but let's take small steps. In our series, Emotional Healthy Relationships, it offers us this great tool for us to build healthy relationships. And it's called the Community Temperature Reading. Now, on the back of your bulletin, you've got a minier version of it. And as we talk about it, it's going to be on the slides. And so feel free to check out your, the back of your bulletin to learn more about the Community, community Temperature Reading. In a little bit here, we're going to practice some of these steps, and we're going to make sense of it. So the Community Temperature Reading is basically a temperature barometer. It's a little confusing because we usually start reading from top to bottom, but with the community temperature reading, we're actually going to read from the bottom to the top. And what the community temperature reading is this. It's a tool, uh, it's a tool that's a building block to all the other skills that we're going to learn in the next six weeks here as we dive more into our series. It helps discover a God-given voice to share with someone else important things that are vital to building relationships so that we can love them like how God loves us. The community temperature reading is meant to improve relationships by having us share around five important categories vital to building relationships. And the first one is appreciation. Appreciation is, uh, appreciations are important to the life of a community. Now often, and maybe even subconsciously, we appreciate others in our head but then we only say them when someone has gone above and beyond. Some families, unfortunately, never appreciate or never show appreciation. Appreciations prevent us from taking each other for granted. And God wired us to give appreciation and to also show appreciation. So in a little bit here with the people at your table, I'm going to ask you to practice appreciation. 
And if you're online and if you're watching this with other people, I'm going to ask you to practice appreciations with us too. And if you were by yourself, imagine if you were with your closest friend or with somebody, I would like you to practice appreciation too. And you can even type it in the comments. We're going to practice appreciation with our tables. And I want you to begin your appreciation with, I appreciate you, fill in the blank. I appreciate you, fill in the blank. Now, some of you have known each other for a while. Some of you have known each other for many years. Some of you might be seeing with people that you've only known for the last 30 minutes. Become creative. I appreciate you moving from your table and sitting with me. I appreciate that you have your mask on. I appreciate that you are wearing my favorite color, whatever it may be. And so an example for appreciation, again, are those, and it can simply be, you know, maybe at home, I appreciate you for taking out the trash. And so in-person congregation, online congregation, let's practice an appreciation with someone next to us at our table. All right. Now, puzzles are the next part of our community temperature reading. And puzzles give us an opportunity to slow down and ask questions instead of making judgments. When someone doesn't do something in the relationship that we're in, oftentimes we're tempted to jump to conclusions. But oftentimes those conclusions are off, they might be, they're often wrong. There's numerous, many reasons why someone might not do something. And negative interpretations or negative conclusions hurt relationships in communities. Our negative interpretations might impact how we relate to others. And so when we get upset, we might say, why didn't you take out the trash? Instead of being upset, staying silent, Staying, being annoyed and jumping conclusions and thinking why they were so lazy, we can say, I'm puzzled as to why you didn't take out the trash. Or I'm puzzled as to why the trash wasn't taken out. It's a way to soften it, but not take out what your intentions are. And so we're going to practice a puzzle. And again, it could be of anything. It's important to use this in the community that you're closest with, but again, we're going to practice this for anything. And so for my example, again, was I'm puzzled as to why the trash wasn't taken out. And so begin your puzzle with, again, I'm puzzled as to why, fill in the blank. So go ahead and start. All right. The next part of a community temperature reading is this. Complaints with possible solutions. Complaints with possible solutions. Now, complaints, these help you with small irritations and annoyances that arise each day. I want you to focus, you know, I want you to, uh, not focus, I want you to, to take note. These help you with small irritations and annoyances that arise each day. If it's something bigger, we're going to learn about this, uh, another skill that talks about fighting fairly later. But, again, these deals with the small rotations and annoyance that arise each day. All relationships have, have, all relationships have complaints. They all do. That's just the truth. 
Now, the two challenges I can think of when it comes to complaints are this, are these. We're afraid to voice anything negative. Secondly, it's easy to complain and not take any responsibility for solution. This is criticism. We complain, but don't say what it is we want. And so when we practice complaint with solutions, the person with the complaint also takes responsibility for a possible solution. Otherwise, when the solution goes unspoken, they can either become painful wounds, or when they're spoken poorly, they become destructive to relationships. And sometimes, like in my, my beginning story, it's hard to determine what someone wants when there's a complaint. And so we're guessing. And so let's help each other out. Let's serve each other. Let's love each other by offering a complaint. And, and at the same time, whoever's complaining offers a solution. With complaints, use the phrase, I notice blank, and I prefer blank. And so if we use my trash example, I notice the trash in the kitchen is smelly. I prefer the kitchen not to smell. Again, notice how that feels just a lot, lot more softer and more welcoming than, kitchen smells, man, why don't you take out the trash? And so I noticed blank. And I prefer blank. Go to give a shot in your groups. Awesome. I love the conversation that you all are having. All right. The next part, the fourth part to community temperature reading is this. New information. Now, new information helps relationships grow when people know what is happening in each other's lives. Things are changing, and so relationships can only grow when people know what's happening in each other's lives. We need to stay current with each other. Maybe there's an event, appointment, there's a new decision, achievement, opportunity, a new lifestyle change that impacts our life. People need to know these things, even if they seem trivial, so that they have context and adjust if needed to. So this one's a little personal for me. So new information for me is I'm watching my diet. I'm eating a low-sodium and low-carb diet. And so last week after service, someone invited us to lunch, and, and you know, I, was, I was like trying to be passive, like, ah, you know, like, we'll think about it, but we just, I, just, I just have to be honest. Like, you know, eating at the restaurant's probably not the smartest for me if I'm watching my diet. Because, again, I'm, I'm watching my health conditions, and so... I'm cutting back on carbs and sodium. And so that lets my friends know, oh, okay, he's watching out his diet. He's just not being shady and doesn't want to hang out with us. And so new information. And so if you're brave enough, share a new information with someone at your table. It doesn't have to be, again, something super personal, but what's a new information has occurred within the last couple of days, maybe the last couple of weeks? Go for it. Here's our last step to community temperature reading, our final step. Lastly, hopes and wishes offer windows into our unique souls, revealing significant parts of who we are. This is the last part of the community temperature reading. Relationships deepen when hopes and wishes are shared. Relationships become richer when we know these hopes and dreams and we support and listen to each other's 
hopes and dreams. And so for me, kind of tied to the new information of, you know, I'm watching my diet. I never, I've never enjoyed long distance running, but it is my hope to one point run a half marathon. And so at that point, there's a realization, oh, okay, that makes sense. You know, Kong's not being shady. He's not, you know, just ha- hanging out with us because, again, new information. He wants to run a half marathon. And so if you're willing to be vulnerable with your group at your table, what is a hope? What is a wish? And start, this, this, the phrase, start off the sentence with, I hope to or I wish to fill in the blank. So go ahead and have a go at it. Let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. So these are the five steps to our community temperature reading. Use this tool to help you grow in your relationship. It's a step to experiencing God's love and uh, God's love, and it's a step in experiencing and it's a step in loving others as well too.